we'll take our thought this morning out of Romans chapter 9. We're going to start in the first verse, and we'll go through the eighth verse. And my title that I would like to use this morning is The Peril of Unbelief. The Peril of Unbelief. Since I since we got back from our hiatus, our three weeks hiatus, uh, since uh, COVID burned through our you know our family, Lily and Avery, God and I got it. Um, Amy uh, Amy didn't have some of the symptoms. I think she she may have had some of. We're, we're kind of on the fence uh, with Amy. We think it's possible that she had it too. So we think it burned through all of us really uh, really in pretty quick order. Uh, but the first week we got back, uh, we we tried to preach a sermon over anxiety. Uh, then we preached over killing Goliath, and last week we preached over um, Mount Sinai. And, uh, and I want to try to try to wrap all those up because all those all those have within them the peril of unbelief. And 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 Moses, or not Moses, but Paul is going to actually use one of them. Uh, here in this ninth chapter of Romans, and we're going to also touch on it somewhere else. But let's start in the ninth chapter of Romans, first verse. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish, for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law, and the service to God, and the service of God, and the promises, whose the, whose are the fathers, and of whom, as concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, God blessed forever, Amen. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. And this is a very important verse. What he's going to say here, we're in the sixth verse. Not as though the word of God hath taken none effect. For they are not all Israel, which are of Israel. Neither because they are neither because they are of the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. And so I'd like to stop my reading right there. And, and once again, our lesson text is the sin of unbelief. Now, if you uh, if we look at this uh, this 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 uh, these verses of scripture here in this ninth chapter of the book of Romans, this ninth chapter of the book of Romans starts out very familiar in a very familiar fashion, doesn't it? Uh, if we just take our thoughts back just one week and, and we go back. To the end of the book, uh, the the 32nd chapter of the book of Exodus, and we read what Moses, what Moses had said, in admitting the the sin of the people, and 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 really Paul does that same thing here, in, in acknowledging the 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 major issue that the is that that the Jews had, uh, or the Israelites. And uh, we go back and we look at Exodus 32, uh, chap- the 32nd chapter, that is. 
And he says in the 32nd verse, Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. If we look at what uh, Paul writes here, he, he shares himself that he's in great heaviness, and he's in continual sorrow for my brethren after the flesh, which would have been the Jews, which would be, which he says, are the who are Israelites, and they are Israelites according to the flesh, my kinsmen according to the flesh. And in the third verse, he says, "For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren." That's the same request. That's the exact same request that Moses made to God on behalf of the children of Israel at the base of Mount Sinai. And here we are, some thousands of years of thousands of years later, and Paul is making the exact same request that Moses made when the law was given. He's saying, "I wish that I were accursed." From Christ for my brethren. Folks, if you're accursed from Christ, then that means that you have fulfilled the, the request that Abraham, or that Moses made when he said that I pray that you would blot me out of your book instead. Isn't that something that here, after all of this time has passed, nothing's changed, has it? Solomon said there's no new thing under the sun. And here we find spiritually there's no real change that's happened. There's no real change that's taken place. This is not to say with the broad brush that there's nobody in the family of the his uh, in the in the family of the the Israelites or the Jews uh, after the flesh that were saved. There were a lot of there were many of them saved during Christ's ministry. Many of them saved. But on the whole, Paul, we find Paul here making the exact same request. Now, a lot of people pay more attention to verse chapter 10 and verse 1 where he expresses his desire for Israel. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And that was his express, that was his desire. <coughs> And really, he's just culminating that expression in the tenth, in the first verse of the tenth chapter. But he 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 makes an expression in the ninth chapter that's exactly the same expression as Moses made. And why is that? Why is it that he's he finds himself in the position that he's making this request? That he says, "I would rather." that myself were a curse from Christ for them. Who are my kinsmen according to the flesh? To whom all of these were given, but they haven't attained to any of them, have they? To whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service to God and the promises, whose were the fathers, and of whom was concerning the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, and God blessed forever. Amen. God blessed for Christ forever. Amen. 
And we're reminded, and he and he answers the issue. He answers the the main crux of the problem here, and we see this play out time and time again, don't we? Throughout the history of Israel and later Judah, where that which is how they became to be known as the Jews uh, after the captivity, uh, because Israel was done away with with the captivity of of Babylon, uh, and Judah is the only one that came out. Because the prophecy was that it was to Judah that the scepter would not part from Judah until Shiloh came. And Shiloh came, didn't he? And Shiloh is an epitaph for the Messiah. And the Messiah came, and the Messiah died, and the Messiah was resurrected. Uh, and that's what you've got to believe on, isn't it? If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, you have to believe that Jesus is First and foremost, God manifested in the flesh. Secondarily, you've got to believe that he died a vicarious sacrifice on Calvary's cross, that uh, he paid your personal sin debt. You've got to feel the weight of that sin debt, don't you? I, I made this statement uh, one time, and I said, I have never known of anybody who genuinely expressed sorrow or remorse or guilt without fully understanding what they had done. Amen. You can't do it. You've got to experience... This, this is the whole problem we have in Christianity today is they want to remove that step. And they want to say that you don't have to experience that. You just have to accept Christ. Now, I've got no problem with the verbiage except Christ if you're not excluding conviction. If you are using that verbiage and you are excluding conviction as a process of getting saved, and yes, salvation is, you do have to go through a process. You have to get under conviction of the Holy Spirit. That's where the Holy Spirit convicts the world of sin in the hearts of unbelievers. And then you have to... Go to God for forgiveness, don't you? When my kids, when, when they, when they uh, make a mistake, like kids are prone to do, it's very easy to tell if they are genuinely sorrowful for what they've done or if they are just saying, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not very hard to tell, is it? And, and we think God can't look on the heart of a sinner and tell if they're genuinely remorseful or not. It, to suggest anything otherwise would be is is, is sheer folly. And, and so we look here at what what Paul is writing concerning the children of Israel, and he says they're not all Israel, which are of Israel. Now I don't know where this teaching started that that absolutely everybody because you can read it in a lot of old commentaries that they believed that before Christ came that everybody who was Israel after the flesh would be saved. I don't necessarily agree with that because there's a lot of scripture to go against that. And I'm just going to point out a few of them here. And we talked about the uh, those at the base of Mount Sinai last week. How about the, the, the Israelites that wandered in the wilderness for 40 years? And for 40 years they never believed in the promise that God made. Never, not one time. They died in the wilderness. Their children inherited the land of promise. They were deemed unworthy.
the Pharisees. The Pharisees that, that held to their legalism, they did I don't I don't argue that they ever that they were God's children. And Paul tells us why they aren't why they aren't, doesn't he? Because they desired fleshly things, didn't they? They desired fleshly things. They wanted to see things with their fleshly eyes. Uh, they said, make us, uh, uh, make us, uh, gods. Uh, and, uh, Aaron said, break off your gold. Uh, in the wilderness, they said, oh, we miss Egypt. We miss the fish and the leeks and the things that we ate without price. And, and we want to act today, uh, like, uh, government assistance is some new thing. It's not new. It's always been around. And it's usually been around to keep people, uh, subjugated to government that's not to say government is against the will of God it's not, it's instituted by God for the profit of for man but it can be used for nefarious reasons, it's just facts and so we look here and we see what he says and so we got a long history of examples of uh, of, of, of them being more children of the flesh, the argument's been made of of, of uh, uh, the argument has been made of Judas, right? Judas betrayed Christ to bring about the kingdom. Well, I don't believe that, first and foremost, because John didn't believe that. The apostle John didn't believe that. The, none, I don't believe any of the apostles believe that. And, and so we look here, and we see that uh, the whole problem with that is it's wanting to bring on a fleshly kingdom. Jesus said, my, my kingdom is not of this world because my world is, my kingdom is spiritual, not of the flesh, after the flesh. And, and so here, uh, Paul says, that is, they which are the children of the flesh, he just comes out and says it, doesn't he? These are not the children of God. If you think joining a church is going to make you a child of God, you're wrong. The only thing that happened when you got baptized is you got wet. Uh, that was it. Nothing else happened. Uh, if you don't know God before you unite yourself to a church, you're going to die and go to hell. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, it's really not that difficult, any more difficult than that. And the reason is, is because you're doing it for some other reason other than the real reason, which is that Jesus died uh, and died for your sins, and that you've experienced a new birth. <laughs> I, I've had people ask, well, why would I get, why won't you baptize somebody just because? <laughs> and I'm like, well, why would you want to be baptized if you're not going to join the church? And they're like, well, that makes it political. I'm like, no, it doesn't. That does not make it political. I'm like, if you've been saved, but you don't want to join the church, uh, then why, why are you wanting to make an outward profession? Because if you're going to make an outward profession, which is what baptism is, uh, it's a declaration that you've been saved, uh, then you're going to be manifestly declaring to the world, aren't you, to the flesh, that I am no longer a child of the flesh, but I'm rather a child of promise. Because I believe in the one who was promised when the when sin first passed upon all mankind. Now, let's drop down a little bit. He's going to go into a little. We're going to go into a, a little bit of our 
Well, I'm not going to say imaginary stuff, but we're going to go into a little bit of descriptive stuff here and try to describe some of this. I'm going to go to the ninth verse. It says, For this is the word of promise, which that is the Bible. The Bible is the word of promise. Uh, It says, And at this time I will come and Sarah will have a son. Now, I want to stop with that verse and I want us to go over to the fourth chapter of Galatians because Paul's going to really pick this up in the fourth chapter in the letter to the Galatian church. Uh, And so uh, here writing in Galatians, starting in the 22nd verse, chapter 4, he says, But he who who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. All right, so let's let's recall back. Uh, Paul said, For they're not all Israel who are of Israel. And the reason that they were not all of all Israel who are of Israel was because that a great portion of them were after the flesh and not after the spirit. They were not after the promise. They were after the earthly traditions, weren't they? Now let's let's keep in, let's let's keep this in mind. Twenty second verse. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by bondmaid and the other by free woman. Our earthly tradition. Right, earthly tradition declares that the firstborn is the heir, isn't it? The firstborn's always the heir. The firstborn, it doesn't matter. The firstborn to Abraham should have been the heir. But God said, that's not the heir. <laughs> that's not the heir. Just because Sarah didn't have faith in what I told her was going to happen, that doesn't nullify the Word of God. Sarah laughed and she said, I'm not going to conceive a child in my old age. So she goes to Hagar, who was her handmaid, and says, you go into him and he'll conceive and and I'll bear a son through you. Uh, And the reason for that is simple. It's because Sarah owned Hagar. She was her handmaiden. She was her bondservant. Really, if we want to use the correct word, she was her bondservant. And so anything that belonged to her bondservant belonged to her. And that's why in the uh, if you look at it, you can say, well, why was this horrible thing done? Uh, it's because, number one, Sarah didn't have faith in what God said. She didn't believe him. She didn't believe there was any credence to what he said because she believed, because of her old age, she couldn't conceive. Twenty-third verse. But he was a who. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh. But he of the free woman was by promise, because God said, "Sarah shall conceive and bear a son." He didn't say Hagar will, beceive, will, will, will conceive and bear a son. This is a problem that we had that still exists today, doesn't it? Uh, the Ishmaelite world versus the the Isaac the, the the Israel world, right? And and when we say that, we don't we, we use that in a spiritual context and not in a literal context. And so Paul's going to go into a descriptive here, and he's going to say which things are an allegory, for these things are two covenants, two different covenants, and here we're going to see the difference between the law and the gospel. The law and the gospel is going to be manifestly declared through these two women, through Hagar and through Sarah. And, and, and so here's, a, here's we're going to go into it. For these two things, for these are two covenants. The one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth bondage, which is Agar. 
or which gendereth to bondage. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. Now, I'm going to just be honest. I like the way the Syriac version explains this subset of this verse better. The Syriac version renders this for this Mount Hagar is Sinai. He said, that's the Syriac, for Mount Hagar is Sinai. Remember what he says in the previous verse. Mount Sinai, which gendereth, and let's look at that word just for a moment, uh, and, and I, I just want you to understand what he's getting at here, because what we think of when we hear that word today is not what, what they meant back then. And uh, the, the word means procreate. What was born that day, what was born that day at Mount Sinai, it, it procreates to bondage. And that's where we saw when Jesus came into the world, wasn't it? It was in a state of bondage. And so, uh, and so now he says this Mount Sinai, or this Mount Hagar is Sinai in Arabia. You know, we always try to put Sinai, you know, down here. Paul puts it in Arabia. Paul puts it in Arabia. And I tend to believe Paul because I believe he probably went to the same place in the desert, in Arabia. Now, the, we, have, we do have to make one caveat here. Borders today aren't borders what they were then. So there is that caveat that needs to be made. So you have, you have the law embodied in Hagar. The law is embodied in Hagar which, gen, which, which, which brings bondage. And it says this, and he says, And answereth to Jerusalem which is now, and is in bondage with her children. But the Jerusalem which is ab- above, or the Jerusalem which is above, is free. See, here's the difference between the law and the gospel. The law binds you, doesn't it? The gospel while it condemns the sin, if the sinner repents, it sets them free, doesn't it? Paul said this about the, the relationship to the law and the gospel. The law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And once we've been brought to Christ, we're no longer under a schoolmaster. But here's the thing. You gotta believe it, don't you? You gotta believe it. You've gotta believe that the gospel is true. You've gotta believe that the gospel is really true. You gotta believe that Jesus was God on earth. You've gotta believe that. You've gotta, and when I say believe it, I want you to understand what I'm saying. Because faith, we are saved by repentance and faith. There's a certain amount of faith that you're going to have to have in these things. Because you don't know. You're not there. And that's where they got so bogged down, wasn't it? They wanted to be there. They wanted to see Him. They wanted to see the kingdom. Or they wanted to see God in front of them. And, and that's the, that's the, that is, when you think about idolatry, that is the temptation to idolatry. You get to see it. 
But Jerusalem, which is from above, is free, which is the mother of us all. And now a lot of people want to refer to this as the New Jerusalem coming down. I don't believe that's what he's talking about here. I believe he's talking about the the church, meaning the bringer of the gospel, the gospel which is preached, the gospel which is in Christ Jesus, which is preached, sets us free when we believe with our whole heart, which can't happen until after we've repented of our sins. Let's go back over here. I'm going to I'm going to we're going to close up here in just a minute. Let's go down to the end of chapter 9. Let's go down to the end of chapter 9. And I got a couple other verses but we won't tarry too long. And what shall we say then? Paul asked the question. What shall we say then that the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness even the righteousness which is of faith? But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, have not attained to the law of righteousness? Why? Wherefore? If we want to use, if we want to use the King James rendering, right? Wherefore? Why is it that the Gentiles, who were heathenistic, right, who, who worship pagan gods, but they have attained to righteousness through the righteousness which is of faith, but the Israelites... Which are ban- which were the followers of the law, they have not attained the law of righteousness. Why is that? Because the expectation is the complete innocence, and that you're guiltless. You know, that's never going to happen in and of yourself, is it? You can't work your way into forgiveness. <laughs> I don't care who it is that you offend. If it's God, uh, if it's your mother or your father or your grandparents, I don't care who who it is that you offend, you can't work out forgiveness from anybody. They have to find it within themselves to forgive you. You have to just beg, don't you, for forgiveness. Uh, when you find yourself standing before a court of law, if you find yourself standing before a court of law, and you're guilty, what is what is a common reprieve that's or a common request that's given in that scenario? I throw myself upon the mercy of the court. Psalm 115 and 3 says this, But our God, which is in the heavens, as a juxtaposed to those heathen gods who have ears, who have eyes, who have a mouth, who have a throat and arms and legs, but they can't do anything with it, right? Because there's nothing in them. There's no life in them. Uh, he says, uh, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. God will bestow Mercy on whom he will bestow mercy, and he will bestow compassion on whom he will bestow compassion. That's what he told Moses. Uh, that's what he told Moses there at Sinai that day. And, and so we look at these two examples here, uh, and, and Paul goes really into this, and he says, what if God, he asks this question, what if God's willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction. And now that's what you have to come to terms with, isn't it? That if you never get saved, um, that's all you are. You are a vessel of wrath which is fitted to 
destruction. And one day you will experience it. Now, I'm not an annihilationist, right? I don't believe that at the judgment when God uh, pronounces judgment that they're just destroyed. That's the annihilationist view. I, I believe that they will be cast into hell uh, and that hell and they'll be cast into the lake of fire uh, where the worm dieth not uh, and, uh, and, and they will be there for all eternity and, uh, and they will experience they, would ex- they will experience that destruction for lack of a better word for all eternity. And um, and that he might make known the riches of the glory of the, on the vessels of mercy which he hath fore uh, prepared unto glory, even us whom he hath called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Out of two people he hath made one new, one new, one new man. Uh, and also he says in Osi, which is Hosea, I will call them my people, which were not my people, and her beloved, which was not beloved. And, and so all of these things happen. But why is it? That you find yourself in that position. Because they sought it not by faith. Now the word that's translated as faith here, what it means is they they didn't lend any credence, did they, to the word of God. And, And when the word credence means they didn't believe in it. They didn't believe in the Word of God. And, and so if you're here this morning, and we've, we've done listened over the last few weeks about, uh, about a man named Goliath uh, and, and how he didn't believe the Word of God and he had no problem standing in defiance of that God, he was destroyed, wouldn't he? We heard last, uh, we tried to preach last week uh, about how those people who God had, uh, had let witness the judgment of God uh, on the people of Egypt, how they had experienced that same judgment themselves because they didn't believe in the Word of God. If you're going to not believe in the Word of God, then you're going to fulfill what really is the unpardonable sin, and that's the sin of unbelief. If you're not going to believe the Word of God, if you're not going to take God at His Word, you're going to, experience, you're going to find out why, why Paul says uh, up here at the beginning of this chapter that they're not all Israel who are of Israel because they sought it not by faith. Right? A lot of Christianity today wants to say, come down and, 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 and just say you believe. Well, if you don't ever have to actually feel any compunction, and that, is, and that is to say that you don't ever have to feel any guilt for the sin that you have committed, which has caused an offense in the sight of God, then that's not going to curry you very much favor at the end of the day. Because they say, as long as you believe one time, but that's all it requires. It's as a mental belief and not a heart belief. Uh, and I want to tell you right now, salvation is a work of the heart, not a work of the carnal mind. And, and so uh, they really are teaching to approach salvation the same way. It, it's to, to just say you believe Him, and I believe you've got to believe Him. But that doesn't mean that doesn't mean believe in the in the way that is being used today. You got to seek it by faith. 
it's by, by grace are we saved through faith, right? By grace, God bestowing grace, are we saved through faith and, and not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And now guess what? Here's what Paul says. But it was, But here's why. He says, they sought it not by faith, but as it were by works of the law. You know what, folks? We have people in Christendom today, Christianity today, that they are teaching basically, if you study this book enough, then you'll go to heaven. Folks, I believe this is the inspired Word of God, but I don't believe that if you just sit down and, and if you put your faith in studying this book, that won't get you to heaven. The, the, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ gets you to heaven. Uh, feeling the, uh, feeling the, the, the compunction for your sins... It's the beginning point uh, of, of the conviction process, uh, or that is conviction, I should say, and it's godly sorrow. It's godly sorrow which worketh repentance, right? That's what Paul wrote uh, and, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Thessalonian letter, uh, which, uh, one of the letters to Thessalonica. But it's godly sorrow that worketh repentance. Uh, having repented of our sins, we are found a new creature in Christ Jesus. Folks, if you you can know this book frontwards, backwards, upside down, every which way. And look now, I, I've heard some people who have gone to set in college classes, and uh, and they've said he knew more about that book than anybody I had ever met, but he didn't know what that book was about. <laughs> <laughs> you can approach it in a legalistic way, which is really what's happening today, and miss the whole point of the book. The whole point of the book is that Jesus died so that we can be redeemed. And we couldn't be redeemed by the law, could we? Because those that were under the law were under a covenant that the expectation was that they would be found guiltless. There's not a just man on the earth that sinneth, that doeth good and sinneth not. It's not possible. So God had to have one come and make a way, didn't he? The gospel, the difference between the law and the gospel is the gospel says, we already know that. Here's the way out. And there's only one door whereby we can enter the sheepfold, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. In Him is life, and He is the light of men. I'm going to close with this verse. Behold, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. The gospel is not a very pleasant message when you're unconverted. <laughs> I'll tell you right now, if you're, a, if you're a Christian and you're trying to live in sin, the gospel would, should not be a very pleasant message because sin is the antithesis of the gospel. The gospel does not tolerate sin. It should not be surprising to us today that in the world that we live in, given the things that are, that are permitted, the things that are encouraged, that the one thing that they are not willing to tolerate is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. You want to be saved? There's only one way to get saved. I don't care what anybody else tells you. They may say God has presented himself in various ways all down through the world. And I want to tell you, if you hear somebody say that, you're listening to a liar talk uh, because God, uh, you can read in this very uh, uh, in this very book, and uh, I believe it's in this very chapter. Uh, I may be wrong on that, uh, but uh, uh, but the ones that worship the uh, the, the heathen religion, uh, they they worship devils. That's what the Bible says. They 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 sacrifice unto devils. First Corinthians chapter ten is where you'll find that. Not in this one, so it just came to my mind. I want to close with this verse. John chapter eight verse twenty four. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins if ye believe not that I am He. Drop off the He. It's not necessary. It's in italics anyway. Unless you believe that Jesus is the same I am that spoke to Moses out of the burning bush in Midian, you'll die in your sins. That's what will prevent a person from going to heaven is the sin of unbelief. That's my message this morning. Uh, and uh, I pray you got a blessing out of it. Brother, Brother Williams.